Hello, and welcome to this Speedless installment of the Six Gun Justice podcast, featuring everything you need to know about the 1966 Western caper movie, The Professionals, in under 15 minutes, give or take. I'm Paul Bishop, my compadre Richard Prosh, and I co-host the full-length episodes of the Six Gun Justice podcast, but I ride solo for these Speed Listen bonus installments. The Professionals is second only to The Magnificent Seven as my favorite Western film. Watching Lee Marvin and Burt Lancaster relish chewing the scenery together while trying to out-macho each other in The Professionals is perfect late-night viewing entertainment. The movie led me to the book and to the discovery of the sheer Western storytelling power of Frank O'Rourke. O'Rourke's novel, A Mule for the Marquesa, underwent a name change to The Professionals when it moved from page to screen. Beginning as a straightforward Western actioneer, as a novel, The Professionals definitely packs a kick by the time the last page is turned. The film is often overlooked in light of what was to come from Sam Peckinpah three years later. Far more lighthearted than Bloody Sam's magnum opus that was The Wild Bunch, the same themes of friendship, loyalty, disillusionment, and of course, the changing of the Old West all get highlighted in The Professionals. When a group of Mexican revolutionaries kidnapped Angelina Grant, the fiery Mexican wife of the arrogant, very rich American cattle baron Augustus Grant, recruits a band of five larger-than-life soldiers of fortune, led by ex-cavalryman-turned-arms-dealer Henry Farden, to cross the desert and rescue his wife. Each man is a hardened expert in logistics, combat, explosives, horse handling, or improvisation. The caper, Five Men Against a Hundred, is ingenious, exciting, and vividly told. With a screenplay adaptation and direction by Richard Brooks, the 1966 movie version of The Professionals is stunningly filmed across the salt flats of Death Valley and Desolation Canyon. Matching the harshness of the landscape, Lee Marvin, Burt Lancaster, Woody Strode, Robert Ryan, and Jack Palance are at their hard-assed best. Claudia Cardinale gives a smoldering performance as the dark-haired kidnapped wife, while the perfectly cast Maria Gomez knocks her eyes out as Chiquita, truly a woman to lead a revolution. When Columbia originally bought the rights to O'Rourke's book, Gregory Peck, Frank Sinatra, and Robert Mitchum were slated to star, but even they would have been hard-pressed to match the synergy of the brilliant final cast. Nominated for three Academy Awards, writer and director Richard Brooks for Best Director and the only non-Best Picture nominee for the year to be nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay, and Conrad L. Hall for Best Cinematography, all losing out to A Man for All Seasons, which swept the Oscars that year, the Professionals was the first Western to feature nudity, although it is a long-range view and tame by later standards. The movie straddles the worlds of Old Western and New Western. It has a moral ambiguity and overarching plot, making it a hybrid Western noir. When you look at the cast, though, Lancaster, Marvin, Bellamy, Palance, and of course Robert Ryan were all film noir stalwarts of varying degree. Maybe some of that quality is what attracted them to the script. It would be interesting to add up the number of Oscar-nominated pictures and performances the aforementioned group earned throughout their careers. Following the novel fairly closely, the movie is set in the waning years of the Mexican Revolution. Texas millionaire rancher J.W. Grant, played by Bellamy, hires four mercenaries, all experts in different skills, to rescue his kidnapped Mexican wife Maria, the beautiful Claudia Cardinelli, from Jesus Raza, Jack Palance, who appears to be relishing his every line of dialogue. Raza is a former revolutionary leader turned bandit. Grant would rather pay the mercenaries $10,000 apiece rather than pay a ransom of $100,000 to have her killed anyway. Lee Marvin plays point man and weapons specialist Henry Rico Farden, 
As a tough leader with an honor code, this is the kind of role made for Lee Marvin. As explosive expert Bill Dalworth, Burt Lancaster oozes devil may care charm. He's a match for Lee Marvin and even gets top billing, but make no mistake, Marvin is the engine that drives the film. Experienced actor Robert Ryan has a bit of a thankless role as horse wrangler Hans Ehrengard, a man who wears his empathy on his sleeve in direct contrast to the hard exteriors of those around him. The role takes on another especially poignant dimension when you know Ryan was unwell during filming. Woody Strode is the fourth member of the team, as Apache scout Jake Sharp, an expert with the bow and arrow. As usual, Strode doesn't get a lot to say, but the value of his character to the group of four professionals is unquestioned and undeniable. When Fardem wants an assault to look like an attack by the Federales, Lancaster is the dynamite expert, but Strode shoots the explosive arrows that make it happen. When Grant brings up the question of race in regards to Strode's character, asking any objections to working with a Negro, Faradan dismisses him with contempt. It's clear he judges men by how they do their job. The color of their skin makes no difference to him whatsoever. It's a beautiful statement of equality, showing white and black relying on each other to get a mutual job done. Before I give a rundown of the plot of The Professionals, I'm issuing a spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen the film yet. If you haven't seen it, stop listening right now, go to your favorite streaming service, and watch the picture as soon as possible. Then come back and listen to the rest of the podcast. The backstory to the film is Fardin and Dolworth both fought side by side with Raza and some of his men in the early days of the revolution under the command of Pancho Villa. They have a high regard for Raza as a soldier, but as cynical professionals, they have no qualms about going up against him. It's all about the money. After crossing the Mexican border, the team tracks the bandits to their hideout. Along the way, Dolworth rigs explosive to block an escape route. They watch while Rouser's small army captures a government train, carrying soldiers and executing all on board in cold blood. Erangard is appalled until Dalworth explains, saying, Men on that train are Colorados, expert marksmen, also expert at torture. A couple of years ago, they burned and looted a town of 3,000 people. When they finished, 40 were left. Fardin's wife was one of the lucky 40. Why are you a revolutionary, they asked her. To rid the world of scum like you, she said. They stripped her naked, ran her through the cactus till her flesh was torn away. The other Colorados watched her die and did nothing. Just watched. The professionals follow the captured train to the end of the line and retake it from the bandits. Erengard is left behind to take care of the horses and the train. The others move on to the bandit camp to observe Raza and his followers, including a female soldier, Chiquita, played by Maria Gomez and to implement a plan to rescue Maria from the camp. Come nightfall, the professionals go into action. Dalworth uses dynamite to blow up the water tower in the camp. Sharp launches dynamite sticks strapped to his arrows to make it appear the camp is being shelled by a much larger force. Farden knocks out the machine gun sentry on the roof of the quarters where Maria is being held. Dalworth joins Farden at Maria's quarters, and they sneak in together to rescue Maria. Seconds later, Raza also enters through another door to the warm embrace of Maria. The two are clearly lovers, leading Dalworth to conclude, we've been had. The two knock Raza out and force Maria to come with them, but Farden orders Dalworth not to kill Raza. Back at the train, Erengard has been overwhelmed by a bandit force who lie in wait to ambush Farden, Dalworth, and Sharp upon their return. The professionals use Maria as a human shield to convince the bandits to hand the train back to them, as Raza has given strict instructions that Maria must not be harmed. First by train, 
Then upon horseback, the professionals and Maria retreat into the mountains, pursued by Raza and his men. As they make their way across the desert, Erngard complains, broiling by day, freezing by night, alkali dust choking every hole in your body. How in the name of God does anybody live here long enough to get used to it? Farden replies, men tempered like steel, tough breed, men who learn how to endure. Like you and Dalworth, Erengard asked? Oh no, Farden says, men like Raza. Eventually, the professionals evade capture by lighting the fuse placed earlier, bringing down the walls of a pass, blocking the bandit's path, and delaying their pursuit. Maria confirms the professional's suspicion. They have not rescued Grant's kidnapped wife, but Raza's willing mistress. The two have been lovers since their youth. Maria's father wanted her to have the prestige that marriage to Grant would bring, and his wish was a command. She made the mistake of telling Grant that she loved another man, hence his hatred for Raza. Her kidnapping was, in actuality, an escape to Mexico with her true love. As Raza and his bandits pursue the retreating professionals, Dalworth fights a rearguard action to allow the other men to escape with Maria. In the battle, Raza is wounded. He and Chiquita attempt to escape, but Dalworth shoots her and captures the weakened Raza. The professionals, with Maria and Raza, reach the U.S. border and are met by Grant and his men. Grant tells Farden their contract has been satisfactorily concluded, even before Maria is safely handed over to him. As Maria tends the wounded Raza, Grant says to one of his men, Kill him. Before the man can fire, Dalworth shoots the gun out of his hand. The professionals step in to protect Maria and Raza. Farden says, We made a contract to save a lady from a nasty old kidnapper, who turns out to be you. They collect the wounded Raza, put him on a wagon, and with Maria at the reins, send both back to Mexico. The professionals follow the wagon. The professionals ends on one of the greatest last lines in the movies. In response to Grant's sneering and angry outburst, you bastard, Farden replies calmly, yes, sir, in my case, an accident of birth, but you, sir, you're a self-made man. The movie makes extensive use of retired Great Western Steam Locomotive Number no. 75, which stands in for both an American and Mexican locomotive. It was built in 1909 for the Great Western Railway in Colorado and was retired from service in 1965. It was then purchased for movie-making purposes and for the next 34 years made appearances in many well-known films. Eventually, Number no. 75 was sold to the Heber Valley Railway in Heber City, Utah in 1999. The scenes where the four main characters cross the border under a wooden bridge at the beginning and end of the movie were filmed at the first railroad bridge north of Ferrum in California. Since the movie was set around 1910, the large steel bridge over the Salt Creek Wash was actually repainted to appear as a wooden bridge. Other scenes were shot at Gravel Pit and Summit. An ex-Southern Pacific caboose and a couple of old wooden boxcars were used along with a Kaiser steel flat car for the various trains seen in the movie. Despite the original plan for Gregory Peck, Frank Sinatra, and Robert Mitchum to star, the troupe of actors and the professionals was a perfect storm, combining to make a film far more than the sum of its parts. However, amongst all the big-name players, it was lesser-known actress Mexican beauty Maria Gomez, later a regular in High Chaparral, who was the glue holding all the other parts together. As Chiquita, the spitfire whose loyalty to revolutionary leader Raza is unquestioning, despite having been spurned for another love interest, Gomez blazes like a firework every time she is on the screen. She is more than a match for the scenery-chewing legends surrounding her, giving everything she has to the part. 
The final part of this near masterpiece is the stunning cinematography by Conrad L. Hall, who beautifully captures the West in a time of transition and raises the film to the level of a genuine blockbuster. Hall's use of camera filters, his incredible dust storm, and his location scouting are all impeccable. As I said earlier, while Burt Lancaster received top billing, the actual lead role of Henry Faraday, ex-cavalry man-turned-arms dealer, fell to Lee Marvin. The two actors respected each other, but didn't like each other very much. Their acting styles were very different. Lancaster's preparation was meticulous, sometimes studying all night to learn his lines. Marvin, however, engaged in heavy drinking, fighting, and debauchery every night. Next morning, he only needed to glance through his lines to get them fixed in his head. Arriving at the set, Marvin was reported to smugly comment, Now watch me make Burt blow all his lines. A volatile presence himself, Richard Brooks deserves credit for keeping control of his hot-tempered cast. At the time, Ralph Bellamy remarked that Richard Brooks didn't need a megaphone or loudspeaker to make himself heard, even in outdoor shots. When a disagreement arose between Marvin and Lancaster about the authenticity of the weapons, Lancaster flew into a dangerous rage. Lancaster didn't know when end of a weapon from the other and didn't care while Marvin was well-known throughout his career for insisting on accuracy with guns and costumes. When the confrontation threatened to get completely out of hand, Brooks had to physically intervene between the two men because he worried, quote, Lancaster was going to take Lee Marvin by the ass and throw him off that mountain. Afterward, Brooks implored Marvin to make peace with Lancaster, who was known to possess a rather inflated ego. Marvin did so on his knees before Lancaster, and in an Oscar-worthy performance, groveled and wailed for forgiveness. It is unknown if Lancaster actually understood Marvin was mocking him. Most of the film was shot in the desert outside Las Vegas, so the cast and crew stayed in Vegas hotels during the shooting. Good friends Marvin and Strode created havoc in the casinos every night. Some of their antics included dangling nude showgirls out their hotel room windows, firing prop shotguns, and shooting an arrow into a Las Vegas landmark. The famous story goes that drinking heavily in their hotel room as usual, Marvin and Strode decided they were tired of Vegas Vic, the renowned neon cowboy standing massively astride the Pioneer Club, shining through their window. Grabbing one of the bows Strode's character used in the film, they blew out old Howdy Partner, as Vegas Vic was sometimes known, with one well-aimed steel-tipped arrow shot from their hotel window. They knew the police would arrive quickly, especially since they had been raising hell on the Strip for several nights. Their antics should have landed them in jail, but Marvin's star power apparently kept them out of serious trouble. Again, as I mentioned earlier, Frank O'Rourke's novel, A Mule for the Marquesa, underwent a name change to the professionals when it moved from page to screen. Movie tie-in versions and subsequent reprints of the book all retained the punchier title. While he wrote dozens of other Western sports and detective novels, Frank O'Rourke specialized in writing caper novels with Western locales. The Professionals is a prime example of his talent. A number of his other books, including The Bravados and The Great Bank Robbery, also made their way onto the silver screen. Of his traditional Westerns, Warbonnet Law contains his strongest character, Range Detective John McMahon. His most memorable character, however, is Andrus Shotgun Aru who battles his way through the 1910 Mexican Revolution in The Shotgun Man. His companions are a beautiful woman, a .97 shotgun, and a hidden fortune with killers on his trail. Writing under his John Benteen pseudonym, revered Western writer Ben Haas based his iconic Western adventure character Fargo 
with only a few changes to avoid problems. On both the Henry Farden of O'Rourke's novel and the portrayal of Farden by Lee Marvin in The Professionals, the movie based on the book. After seeing his portrayal of Farden in The Professionals, it is effortless to imagine ex-Marine Lee Marvin as a rock-hard fighting man, ex-Rough Rider, wildcatter, and mercenary of the Fargo Adventures. Plans for a remake of The Professionals were announced in 2000, with screenwriter Bruce Fairstein and director John Woo attached. But here we are, 21 years later, and nothing beyond the announcement has ever come to fruition. Last year, I came across the Western novel The Trespassers, which was published in 2008. Written by highly regarded screenwriter and novelist Andrew J. Fennedy, the plot and setup of the storyline are eerily familiar to the professionals. I doubt this was by design, but until we do get an actual movie sequel, I recommend The Trespassers highly to anyone who loves the original novel and film. Thanks for listening to this bonus speed listen installment of the Six Gun Justice podcast. Remember to check out our website at sixgunjustice.com for regularly updated reviews, articles, and interviews from the best of the Western wordslingers. Prior Six Gun Justice podcast episodes, Six Gun Justice speed listen installments, and Six Gun Justice conversations are available on all major podcast streaming platforms. Until next time, be kind to yourself, be kind to others, and keep your horse pointed in the direction of home. Adios. I'm out of here. Let's ride.